Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky And all the people living for today. Welcome. My name is Anne Wilson, and it is my pleasure to host the Emerge Australia podcast series in which we speak to people impacted by and associated with MECFS and long COVID. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to Elders past, present, emerging and any listening today. As we've done in our podcast series, we take a moment to reflect on the magnificent lyrics of John Lennon's Imagine. Wouldn't it be wonderful to imagine a world where there is no greed or hunger, where we have a brotherhood of man, Maybe a world without discrimination or stigma, a world where there is a cure for MECFS, where the voices of those suffering invisibly are listened to, are seen and heard. Imagine all the people. Today it's my great pleasure to introduce Dr Stephen Summer and his wife Tori to our Emerge Australia podcast series. Dr. Summer graduated from medical school in 1984, worked in hospital settings and was admitted as a fellow of the RACGP in 1991. His interest in teaching stress management in the early 90s whilst uh, working as a GP led him to become senior lecturer at Monash University's Department of General Practice, which soon led Stephen to presenting and teaching stress management techniques to doctors, nurses, high school students and people from all walks of life, as well as being a grand round presenter at several major teaching hospitals. In 1993, Stephen became president of the Whole Health Institute of Australasia, a non-profit holistic health education organisation. Following a major health crisis in 1996, Stephen was forced to relinquish all of his roles, returning to general practice in 2007 and teaching at Deakin University Medical School. After further health crises in 2011, Stephen became unable to continue as a practitioner. Since that time, however, Stephen has turned his attention to writing, which he has discovered to be a lifeline and most rewarding activity. Stephen and Tori live in Geelong, where they have collaborated on writing and publishing what it is like going from being a doctor to a patient to a doctor again to a patient alongside Stephen's journey of MECFS. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Summer and Tori Summer to Emerge Australia's podcast series. We're delighted to have you both with us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Anne. So to kick us off, Stephen, 
Are you able to outline for our listeners where your MECFS journey began? Um, give us a bit of insight into how that all happened. Well, way back, the last time I felt really well would have been 1992. I was presenting to uh, doctors in Darwin as part of my role at Monash, where I was a senior lecturer. And um, it was from that point on, by the end of 1992, I was unwell with pneumonia and I developed asthma for the first time. I started to develop several different illnesses. And then I got tighter and tighter and I'd, I'd need all weekend to recover to get back to work on the Monday and and play the game again until mid mid 1996 where i literally just collapsed at work i felt as if the plug had been pulled um from my stomach energy it was like there was an energy socket that had been pulled out of my stomach and i became absolutely so exhausted i could barely drive home i got home and slept for 16 hours and i was no better and that was the beginning of my uh, cfs journey i suppose but I was unable to continue working in all of those roles that you mentioned, so I had to abandon them one by one. And then Tori and I uh, took off in our car, went on a camping trip around Australia, uh, where we ended up in Perth, where Tori had a bit of work and knew some people there. Um, but still, this it persisted. I was unable to work uh, until 2007. Actually, 2004, I should say. 2004, when I... We were living in Apollo Bay. I'd reached a point where I was pretty much housebound. I could barely um, make it to the post box and back, which was about 10 metres walking. And I ended up on the couch for the rest of the day. Um, I needed Tori to help me shower and bathe and feed. and I really had reached rock bottom. At this time, I was visited by a friend who was a specialist, Dr. Uh, Daniel Lewis. And uh, he literally had heard I was in a pie bay. He didn't know what was wrong with me, though. And uh, he came over to our place and, and he said, oh, I've been involved with doing some rehab work with people with chronic fatigue, so maybe I could help you. And his physio, Laurie, who was um, a delightful fellow, yoga teacher and a physio, he would holiday in a pie bay and he just so happened to be holidaying there just that month. And he came down and gave me a program. And it's quite interesting because program he gave me, if I had done his program completely, I would have crashed within a day or two. So I knew at this stage how limited my abilities were. So I modified his program and literally would did 20 seconds on the on an exercise bike and lay on my back for 10 minutes doing deep breathing into my belly, meditative breathing. And it would take that long for me to recover from that 20 seconds on the, on the easiest setting on an exercise bike. Now, what was fascinating is I thought, well, I won't do that every day. I'll do it every second day. So I did it every second day. I just would do that little addition to my usual daily activities, 20 seconds on the bike. Now, after a month, I started to feel a bit, I had a bit more energy and I increased it to, to uh, by 15 seconds and did that every second day. And basically, I, this is what I did, which I thought, I thought that that was called graded exercise, but that wasn't graded exercise. What I was doing was, a form of pacing with a slight increase, if you like, pacing with a, with a tweet. I call it micro rehab. I can't, I've come up with this term micro rehab because I can't think of anything else that fits because the usual rehab of, of medicine, medical specialties, specialties would not work with CFS because CFS 
a highly specialized condition, I've realized. I keep telling people we need, we need to develop specialists in CFS. There are so many different areas need to be addressed in a multi-system disease. Much like diabetes, there are diabetes specialists. Um, so, I, so that's basically, I gradually incre increased my activity. And by eight months' time from that point when Dr. Lewis originally came, I reached a point where I could walk into the town and back, which is about 1.2 kilometres. That took a long time, though. Oh, yeah. Mm. But it took eight months of very diligent work with setbacks. I had some setbacks, no question. I learned from those. I've outlined that in my book um, in some detail, if anyone is interested, to read that, how that process took place in more detail and the sort of cognitive work I used to do, keep me on track and not panic and things so, like that. So that's amazing. So my question related to that is, at what stage did you know you had MECFS? In terms of diagnosis, yeah, 1996. It took about four years, I think. It took four years to get an official diagnosis. Like I had an insurance company where we were fighting all the all the, all the, fighting me all the way for income protection insurance. They 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 kept saying, "Oh, you're just depressed," and I went and saw their professors and their doctors, and they couldn't work out what was wrong with me. So they they couldn't work it out. But they they basically labelled me as just anxiety and depression. And they thought that I was <laughs> part somehow part of the problem. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Very <laughs> weird, actually. It's very weird. When you looked at, with freedom of information, we could actually look at their reports. They thought Stephen was bizarre, essentially a nutcase. Yeah. yeah. Which happens to a lot of people with MECFS. Well, it's yeah. the stigma, isn't it? And the, 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 that is born out of. A lack of knowledge and a total yeah. lack of understanding. Like, had they done a Nasoline test, for instance, where you check your blood pressure and heart rate while you're standing up against the wall? I explain it in the book. But um, I've been doing that in America since at the Bateman Horn Clinic in, uh, I think it's in Las Vegas, actually. Been doing that since the year 2000, and they've got thousands of cases. 95% of people with MECFS, their blood pressure will eventually drop. You'll have to sit down and lie down. That's what happened to me all the time. All the time. But they weren't doing that back then. They should yeah. have. Been. Yeah. So we're going to give you a little bit of a break for a second, um, yeah. Stephen. And Tori, um, as Stephen's carer, how has your life changed and what do you see as the challenges a carer of someone with MECFS faces? I think our lives just changed 180 degrees. That was it was unrecognizable. We lost all support, all family connections, all social connections. Uh, it was in a, an era where there was no discussion about MECFS, so there was, and there was precious little information as well. So it was actually difficult for us to reconcile the diagnosis. And, um, yeah, we became a little bit sort of pariahs amongst our family um, because we weren't able to provide the support to other family members that we were perhaps doing in the past. 
Um, because our roles very much as we care as ourselves and the ones that people would turn to within our family structures to be the one, the, the shoulder to cry on, if you like. Mm, when we became the ones crying, <laughs> there was no one to cry on because... It was, uh, and I don't blame anybody. Don't don't get me wrong. It was um, there was no information all around, um, so it was very hard to impart sort of any anything that made sense to anyone. Um, and we couldn't find any doctors who really believed us. Um, so I I found. I mean, I kept working as a chiropractor. I was um, uh, trained as a chiropractor and set up little clinics and did um did locum work around the country um but yeah it was very very difficult to maintain my own mental health because I felt that everything we attempted to do with Steve's health wasn't sort of given any validation it wasn't acknowledged um we we were under a lot of sort of pressure to just present um, a kind of well and normal front to people that we'd known. And it just feels like you've got no control and uh, there's nothing you can really do. Like, Steve would like rest if, for... Like, yeah, if I, if I was going to go to a, a family social event, like maybe Tori's parents' birthday or something, I'd have to rest for days leading up to it. I'd go to it. At the event, I'd have to lie down often at some point. Which would be awkward. Very because... awkward. Um, it was it was seen as a weakness. I and suppose. then I crashed yeah. for five days afterwards. So it used to cost me a lot to go to any social. And not only that, because I wasn't really embraced for what I was going through, the incongruence of their response to me, like, you know, get on, what's wrong with you, mate? You know, sort of thing. It was just soul destroying. Really, was, it was very. I reckon that was the most difficult thing with this. There's two things. There's the illness itself, and there's the, the social, the lack social. of social congruence. What you're going through. The social aspect was definitely the hardest for me, um, but obviously Steve had to deal with the illness and the social impacts, and the loss of his career, and the grief. The grief and yeah, there's a lot of you're sort of mourning loss of your life in a way. Yeah, it's a whole. You've got to find a new life. Emerge Australia aims to ensure that anyone impacted by MECFS or long COVID has access to support, information and advocacy that empowers them with the knowledge and skills to make their lives more livable. We offer support to over half a million Australians who face MECFS and long COVID. I'm glad you've mentioned grief and mourning because that's clearly something that a lot of people with MECFS have to face not necessarily recognising that it's actually part of the grief process mm. of, of all the losses that that you face when you have MECFS and have to give everything up in order to just survive. So how did you deal with the social isolation at a time when you were going through all of the emotions of part of the that are part of the grief cycle? Well, you had to find practitioners who understood it or at least were willing to listen to us just to help um, and we joined some community Victoria did art developed art uh, yes I, I sort of found my way through um, expressing myself through art and meeting friends through my art practice and um, Steve I, I'm yeah. writing was one of my writing. I did a mm. photography course 
um, as well. But we lived on a wetland actually in WA. We lived uh, fairly remotely and uh, where I could do a lot of therapeutic sort of shouting and stuff like that. I was trying to trying to work out how to, how to recover from this illness. And I thought, well, maybe it is psychological. Therefore, I should be doing a lot of psychological work. Now, the psychological aspects are important with any illness, let's face it. And if, you, and if you're turning on your anxiety system, that's going to tie you out quite a bit. So you've got to work out how to slow that down. So I used to meditate a lot. I did a lot of different things. But I didn't understand the activity side, how, how, to, how to deal with that, and I kept crashing. Did, yeah, the pacing, the pacing something up. that yes. Emerge, actually, we learnt through Emerge as it became available and yes. the information became available. And then, then I developed this, the ability to go further with that, looking at the rehab process and then talk, looking at micro-rehab where it's really baby steps and how that worked for me. And that's, that's really what inspired me to open my clinic. I thought, well, no one's doing this with people. Maybe I could help people with MECBS with this process. And some people really did amazingly well. Like there were some people actually within, they had just recently been diagnosed and they started doing this micro rehab and within six months they were getting back on track in almost normal life again. So I was amazed with that. People who'd had a long time, obviously, it was much more different. It'd be very delicate. It doesn't mean that people don't have MECFS no. anymore. It just means that they're functioning at the highest level that they yes, their bodies can manage. That's right. Um, like, have you heard of the word hormesis, where it means appropriate challenge builds strength? Now, appropriate challenge might be 10 seconds of standing or, or you know, initially, or 10 seconds of cutting, chopping up your dinner and then lying down. But then yeah. that's what I call appropriate challenge. But once you've got... That, that initial level, then you can build. Sure. So I've got a question around this for you because I can hear some of our listeners saying, well, you're not talking about graded exercise therapy, are you, or no. cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, I'm just wondering if you could be really clear about yeah. what it is that you're outlining because you're talking about micro rehabilitation. So, you know, little nanoseconds of energy expended um, and you're also talking about the need for, you know, support psychologically to cope with the impact of the disease and you've done that through meditation, stress management. I saw counsellors as well. I did see counsellors as well at different times, but it was very hard to find any counsellor who understood the, the illness. Yeah. Uh, but there were some empathic listeners and that helps. Um, but uh, you've got to remember that back when Steve had his worst level of chronic fatigue when he was housebound and wasn't exactly bedbound, but he was close to it, um, he... He was told constantly, this is in your head, this is psychological. Um, his, you know, family members who were medically trained um, told him it was in his head. He had to take um, more medication to to address the depression and so on. In fact, he was very um, sensitive to any, any medication and he had to take it at very, very low levels. Um, and... Psychological 
sort of stuff is part of any illness, especially when there's so much grief associated mm. with it. Um, so, and he found that it didn't matter how much psychological um, work he did, he didn't recover from MECFS. It wasn't it wasn't the pathway out of it, um, but it helped his sort of um, general ability to cope, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Sure. So I'm going to shift the focus a little bit. Um, recently, Stephen, we both attended the Long COVID uh, conference in Melbourne, Victoria, um, and where the focus was on post-acute sequelae of COVID or long COVID. Um, do you believe, Stephen, from a health policy perspective, that an emphasis on PASC can impact MECFS? And why do you think MECFS has been pushed to one side in favour of long COVID or PASC? I don't know why the where the politics lies, but I think people are afraid that if they open Pandora's box, there's something all this money they're going to have to spend on people with MECFS. That's that's my. If I had to really summarise it, I think that's probably it. I don't know, really know though. But yeah. um, it is also an opportunity, as they kept saying, in terms of research, to have a defined illness, and then look at what percentage of people get that. I think from the um, conference, it was clear the scientists were saying this is an illness that we can, um, we know the root cause. We know that COVID, know that co there's COVID. we know that there's a virus. Yeah, heads around it. Yep. Whereas with other MECFS, uh, people may have had a virus, but they don't know which one. Yes. Um, and it's hard to sort of step yeah. it. Yeah. But honestly, yeah. I didn't say so what. Look at suffering. We look at our health budget in terms of helping people where they where they are where they're suffering, and you can measure suffering in different ways, physical and psychological, and then you distribute your health system based on that, rather than saying, "Oh, we don't understand this label, therefore we're going to push it aside." But if the person the person was a functional like I was, very functional in society, and suddenly can't function, that's serious, regardless of the cause. It, we will find we might find the cause, we may may not. That's how I would look at it. So, so Emerge Australia has been advocating for a national post-infection disease strategy under which long COVID, MECFS and other related post-infectious diseases would be addressed. What are your thoughts on the need for such a strategy? Yeah, I think that would be a terrific thing, really. Um, you mentioned the Dubbo study. The Dubbo study, the Ripper. That, that's a prospective study. But um, the only one I know of where they followed people who eventually got a virus, over I think about 280 people in Dubbo and surrounds, and they followed them after the virus and they knew which virus it was. It was either Ross River or glandular fever virus, EBV. And they uh, looked at which about 7 to 10% ended up having chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, 20, I think it was 22% of those with Ross River. So that was one very good study um but uh for them to say that we are we have only got this covid virus to analyze is rubbish really <laughs> because it, the end result is very similar let's be honest about it the symptoms of chronic fatigue syndrome 
are almost identical, whether it's COVID or glandular fever as the initial virus for most people. Something that COVID, um, COVID has the... Well, all viruses have their own specific sort of yes, and problems. Yes, COVID has that vascular issue, which can be very serious, particularly in children, which the other viruses may not have. But glandular fever virus, for instance, often has hepatitis as part of its, its um, manure of symptoms. However, the, the overall end chronic symptoms that are the most powerful are the cognitive changes, the uh, lack of sleep, the lack of refreshing sleep and fatigue. And those things are all in common with each other, but regardless of what you, which virus, whether there's a long, you could say long EBV or long Ross River and then long COVID. I believe you could call them all long, the ones who, people, who persist. So if you were Prime Minister for a day, what would you do to change health policy? Well, I would, number one, recognise that health policy needs to be more nuanced than it is. And if you bring suffering as the number one measure that you actually have to address, um, then that's that's where I would begin. And then set up committees to to help um, develop that nuance sort of system of, of um, seeing where the need is and where the where the funding needs to be, as well as um, developing more research through maybe a, a specialist centre into into um, chronic fatigue. Could even have a have a specialty that's yeah. specific to I, I really believe that you, you could easily develop a specialty specific to MECVS. It's too much for most GPs to handle. It's um, I used to be a GP educator and I can see how, how little time they have. And this is an illness that demands a lot of time. Like I, I used to spend an hour with my patients, minimum an hour. Um, to sort things out, and, and during that hour, they'd often have they'd be lying down on the, on my couch as well, while I got more information. Um, but and yeah. only a few of the bed bound patients could come yeah. to the clinic. Um, if you yes, could, of course, yeah. and so, have support in order to um, to get there. Yeah. So, final question: What can you say about how we can bring hope to our listeners? who are enduring this disease? What do you think the future may hold for those with ME-CFS and long COVID? Research is happening in all sorts of areas around the world, perhaps even more, more than ever now with, with COVID and long COVID. And that opens the possibility of um, more management treatments that are specific for the illness, but also the general ones. And I, I really advocate for the general measures it can make a huge difference, like pacing, micro rehab, um, a low GI diet, those sorts of things can make a huge difference. For some people, it makes a massive difference. So sometimes we need to look, don't forget those general measures that will help change the environment for the body so that epigenetics, which is the way that the body's um, genes express themselves within its cells, and somehow with chronic fatigue and something must be going on on that microcellular level. Can, uh, can be encouraged in a positive way rather than, than really tipping the balance in a negative way. I believe if you tip one way, you can tip the other way back. I mean, I'm proof of that in a way because it, I ran a clinic for five years, but I had to rest in between patients and I had to do it very carefully before I developed these other problems. As you know, Parkinson's, which is why my voice is, is quiet, and um, inflammatory bowel disease and you know, all these things. 
But um, one fascinating thing we, we could talk about for hours, of course, is my I had deep brain stimulation surgery for my Parkinson's and that revolutionised that my uh, situation. But it also improved my fatigue and, and my other symptoms of chronic fatigue, which is fascinating. Not that people are lining up for brain surgery, I don't think. But no, no, but I guess... I guess what you're raising is, you know, where are the links? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it is a neurolo- both are neurological diseases. I think one of the things about Parkinson's, Steve having Parkinson's is suddenly there was a diagnosis yes. that allowed, if that made sense that and people stopped asking, are you well yet? Yeah. Where, whereas if you think about chronic fatigue is a neurolog- considered a neurological disease, um, people don't ask People with Parkinson's are they well yet? Yeah, or no, they no, well? no one ever asked me that. Whereas they accept that it's chronic. Whereas with chronic fatigue syndrome, you're asked all the time. So you're when constantly it, so why asked, aren't you, why, why aren't you well? Why aren't you well already? And it would, you know, if people understood it was a neurological illness, perhaps they would stop. Uh, then they wouldn't expect somebody yes. to suddenly be well. Yeah. yeah, it's about the perception of severity, really. Uh, you know, other diseases sound permanent and very severe and um, there's so many myths and misconceptions about ME-CFS um, that people sort of expect you to be feeling better. The other thing that feeds into that, of course, is that sometimes some people do feel better and because it's such an invisible disease, mm-hmm. uh, People think you are better, but they don't realise that that moment may only be very brief and then you'll crash. And uh, so, you know, perceptions um, are very important here and uh, we're certainly trying to do everything we can. Hope is still there. there. Like if you look at the... When I had my book launch um, a couple of years ago, there was a girl there who I'd seen in my clinic 10 years ago who had chronic fatigue and we, we'd worked together and she ended up at the Austin in their program. And she's done so well now that she's just finished her uni course. She's, she's been overseas for three months travelling Europe on her own. But she said, I need to sleep, early, get to bed early. She still I, needs to pace. I'm to pace yeah. myself. But she's at the other end of the spectrum. And she's, she's had the mildest form of the disease, if you like. But she has done so well. That gives you hope, though, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Dr. Stephen Summer and Tori, thank you for your time and for your willingness to share your personal views and experiences. We really appreciate having you as our podcast guests. Today, today's podcast is part of the Imagine series that Emerge Australia is recording with patients and people of influence to ensure that the voices of those with MECFS are seen and heard. This is a platform where we can together explore the pressing issues faced by 250,000 people with MECFS and at least 400,000 more with long COVID. If you are enjoying our podcast series, please feel free to copy the link to this or any one of our podcasts and forward to your local member of parliament, the media or our federal health minister with a note about what you believe needs to be done to address your needs because your voices matter. Tune in again for our next interview
And don't forget, for more information and to subscribe to the Emerge Australia newsletter, visit our website on www.emerge.org.au. Thank you again, Stephen and Tori, and bye for now. You may say that I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only one I hope someday you'll join us And the world